0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Sitcom Club. Joining me this week is Boggs Strovia. Hello there. Now, Boggs, I promised, hand and heart, last week that we were going to discuss cowboys, and we are. For Hi. once, I've made a promise that I'm actually able to keep incredible because the last time i felt bad we'd let people down because uh, we all sort of ran out of time as far as seeing nightingales is concerned but one thing actually i'll just mention this in passing if anybody happens to be in the possession of one of those lovely new white no tv boxes so in the shops at the moment they cost £9.99 and they're basically rebadged Roku boxes rebadged by skype and they're all lovely and what have you. They've got all manner of fancy things and they give you access to Sky Movies and iPlayer and so on. 4 D Player has just turned up on the Now TV box and it's not just catch-up. It's absolutely chock-full of all manner of things. So if you've got one of them... Load up 4OD Player on there and you'll find a whole ton of old Channel 4 comedies. I noticed quite a few things in there. They've got, I think, every single episode of Peep Show for all eight series. All the episodes of Drop of the Dead Donkey are in there. They've even got episodes of Absolutely going way, way back to, sort of like 1990 or thereabouts that was. So if you've got one of those, check it out. It's very much jam-packed. And if you haven't, then it makes a very good Christmas present. I'm not on commission, by the way. I just happen to have one, and I'm evangelical about it now because it's a bloody good box. Anyway, how are you doing then, Box? Okay, I'm fine. How are you? I'm no bad, I'm no bad, I'm no bad. You have seen... Am I right in thinking? More Roy Kinnear in the past 24 hours than anyone has ever seen before.
1: Yes, I'm going to apply it to Guinness Book of Records to see whether they'll put it in their next edition.
0: So before we get into the main course, any other sitcoms caught your eye recently? Have you noticed anything? I mean, you've got access to the whole world on your satellite box. I mean, you've previously sent me pictures of, I think it was, was it the the Romanian Only Fools and Horses that you'd sent me? It was the Serbian one, it was. Oh, I see, I see. Uh, Has anything like that been catching your eye lately?
1: Not really, no. Where you get sort of sitcoms, that they're more sort of farces, they are, especially in Europe. But there's nothing really which has caught my attention, though at the moment I'm just about to start on the first series of the American sitcom community with Chevy Chase.
0: Ah, smashing. Yes, I've read a lot about that. It's one that I haven't yet caught up on. I have seen recently on Sky Atlantic their two new American shows. One is Hello Ladies with Stephen Merchant. And the other show sure that's it's running at the moment is Veep, The American. The thick of it, which I'm really enjoying at the moment. Quite a few of those episodes I've noticed are directed by Chris Morris. And, of course, we had the BBC putting out their Christmas press release in the last few days, and they're plugging all their bits and pieces. We already knew about Still Open All Hours, which is coming on, I think, possibly Christmas Day itself. Nice little report the other day in the papers, which said that if this episode is well-received, it could potentially lead to a full series.
1: Well... At least it would be half decently received rather than David Jason's last effort for BBC One, the Royal Bodyguard. Which, of course, I do seem to remember did start at
0: Christmas. It did. I mean, I think I'm right in saying two shows began back to back. I think it was Boxing Day a couple of years ago. One of them was Mrs Brown's Boys and the other one was the Royal Bodyguard. And they both got fabulous ratings. I remember thinking at the time, yes, that's good. You'd expect good ratings on Boxing Night. The following week is going to reveal the true extent of the ratings, and the Royal Bodyguard was rapidly shrinking. I think it ended up nearly £10 million in its first week on Boxing Night, which is atypical all the way down to something like I think 2.5 by the end of it whereas Mrs Brown stayed it stayed at the top of the ratings and remained there ever since and of course Mrs Brown's boys will be a new episode of that on Christmas night which was recorded just down the road from the Pacific Key here in Glasgow the BBC tickets website said that they were going to hold a random drawing for people who were applying for tickets to Mrs Brown's boys usually it's a first come first served, you get your tickets you're not guaranteed entrance of course because usually they give away more tickets than they'll need to guarantee they can have a full house but in this occasion they were having a full on lottery so it just proves just how popular it is so I expect that will be another Christmas night fixture this year and we'll see what the bits and pieces turn up One thing I'm really, really pleased about is that there is going to be an Ealing comedy season on BBC4 over the festive period. And BBC4 is about to go HD within the next couple of weeks as well, so that's very timely indeed. The main event of our podcast today, we are discussing a show which a lot of people won't be too familiar with because it's one of these ITV sitcoms which have slipped through the cracks somewhat. As is often the case with ITV sitcoms, this is a show which hasn't really been repeated much over the years. It's one, actually, that I remember my parents mentioning long ago, saying how much they enjoyed it and how much they'd see it repeated, and it wasn't until just a few years ago that it got a DVD release at last. Boggs, if you can fill us in on what this week's sitcom is.
1: Cowboys were Thames television sitcom from 1980 and 1981. The Cowboys themselves... Uh, Geezer played by Colin Welland, who at this stage is pre-Chariots of Fire. Wobbly Run by David Kelly, famous for Forty Towers and Robin's Nest. And also Eric by James Wardropper, who at that stage was unknown. And the sitcom itself, written by... Peter Learmouth, who would go on to do Surgical Spirit later in the 80s. And you would say that the biggest star of the lot would be Roy Kinnear, famous for playing Jerry in George and Mildred just a couple of years before that.
0: Indeed, and quite interesting actually that you mentioned Peter Learmouth going on to write Surgical Spirit because that's one show that I'm going to make reference to later on, because what I'd like to do in this episode is talk not just about Cowboys itself, but about the position that ITV sitcoms found themselves in in 1980, and then where they found themselves in 1989, at the end of the decade. So give us a wee synopsis of Cowboys, what type of show it is, and exactly what we can expect.
1: They work for a hapless construction firm called Joe Jones Limited, with Joe Jones played by Roy Kinnear. Now, they see themselves as master craftsmen, but as the title suggests, they are nothing of the sort. Now, Ron is an Irishman who'd like to take a drink at any opportunity. He's he's more level-headed, but he can be prone to being a bit neurotic at times, and Eric seems to be lacking in the brains department. But the sitcom itself is partly verbal humour and partly physical humour. It settles down in between the two, making it an almost a strange mix.
0: Now, in a couple of cases, we have a continuation of a couple of the characters, in a loose manner of speaking. Roy Kaneer, rather than being the builder, Jerry, as he is in George and Mildred. Now, this time he's a gaffer. I find him, in this series... It might be a bizarre thing to say, but he is slightly less unscrupulous, if that makes sense, than Jerry. I think that Jerry never really seems to have any problems with regards to bending or indeed breaking the rules. Whereas in this series, I think that his character is is a little more conscientious. He's still having to bend the rules to get by, but he doesn't always feel too happy about it.
1: Jerry's more sort of warm he is in George and Mildred. Joe Jones is a bit more hard-headed because he's a boss and he's looking after the three basic, well, not idiots, but they're not the brightest buttons in the box.
0: I think that Jerry has no qualms about simply getting by with regard to his day-to-day work, whereas Joe has at least moderate ambitions of making a success of this firm and trying to be as legit as possible but he realizes that more often than not that's not really feasible for him and he's usually juggling if it's not a gas bill then it's an electricity bill and if it's not an electricity bill it's a phone bill and so on so he's he's quite good at the creative accountancy
1: in one of the episodes, we learn that he's a former used car salesman, so he's obviously been in business before.
0: And the other character who is reminiscent of another show is that of David Kelly's, because, of course, David Kelly is probably best remembered for his role as O'Reilly, the builder in one episode of Faulty Towers. He's not too dissimilar here. I mean, no longer is he the, the boss. He sort of swapped roles with Roy Cunier, so to speak. But apart from that, he's not too dissimilar.
1: You can almost say with the sort of characters that uh, David Kelly plays all across very sitcoms. But he's got that strange surrealist humour. That he's a basically almost like a drunk philosopher. You know, yes. looking at the world with a slight sort of tilt.
0: The other person in this principal trio is Colin Wellen. In this, he's quite lippy i mean he's very very sarcastic and i think he'd probably get in your nerves (laughs) after quite a short (laughs) period of time
1: it's not that he puts people down he's seen this thing going wrong before so he will point out that things are going wrong and make a sarcastic joke but he sort of worries about himself if the quality of work isn't going to really be that good he's worrying about his own position as well
0: he reminds me a little bit of Stephen Moore's character in The Peter Principle from some 15 years later in that he is able to sometimes just take a step back and he can see what's going on and it's almost like his sarcastic comments are really for his own amusement. He'll quite often find himself trying to make the, the best of a situation which wasn't of his doing But they sort of know also that, well, if he doesn't sort it out, then nobody's going to.
1: You could say that Joe Jones is the boss, but Richard Geezer he's the one who will actually sort it out. He will make things run smoothly as they can, but events go against him all the time.
0: We watched episodes from series one for this show. Any particular episodes in series one which really stood out for you?
1: I think it's the episode when they get trapped. They're demolishing a block of council flats. All three of the cowboys get trapped in the basement. They've been asked by Joe Jones to do unofficial salvage work, like stealing copper piping and anything else that they can lay their hands on. When the uh, block of flats which they're in is demolished by Catherine Thomas, of course, who uh, stars in a uh, Dead's Army, and basically you get a free header, a small Confined space, and then you see the various personalities of three characters come out because you know they've got to knock heads together to try and get out, and of course their frustrations, and they have to vent it out in the open. They do. It's a common device, isn't it, that they use the sort of trapped in a place situation. For instance, the goodies would do one episode, a series, where they would be trapped somewhere.
0: Yes, well we spoke on a previous podcast about Stephen Moffat's chalk and how there was one episode of that which concerned all the cast being shut in the common room and that was principally because their budget had pretty much run out so they didn't really have any budget for sets or locations in that episode hence the necessity for a claustrophobic storyline so yes it is something that comes up quite frequently. I had a little smile on my face when you mentioned Talfin Thomas. I'm not sure if it is actually on YouTube, but have a wee Google, see if it is. There is a lovely little scene from a terrible, terrible film called Come Play With Me. Ah
1: uh, yes,
0: i am never you mean. yes. And <laughs> there is a Channel 4 documentary from about 10 years ago, and it highlighted this particular scene in which Talfin Thomas is with one of the young ladies in a nightclub and he corpses in the middle of a scene and because the director of the scene was drunk he didn't notice. <laughs> and so it just stayed in the film. Now they're the kind of production ballads you just don't get anymore. You know perfectly well if you go and see the latest blockbuster this Boxing Day there's no way they're going to leave anything like that in. Uh, I don't know. Standards. Standards have just either dropped or massively increased depending on your point of view over the last 30 years. But any other particular episodes Send it for you from series one.
1: Episode six, where basically they go on the um, works trip to the seaside. You get Gordon Rollins as a drunk man who comes into the pub where they are. And for a fair chunk of the episode, you get Sheila Stiefel as well. As a woman who's trying to pull a geezer. She's oversexed. She tries to get geezer drunk. And in one scene... She forces him up onto stage when a band in the uh, pub asks anyone wants to sing a song. Then it becomes a sort of half-and-half moment that it's actually that the characters think that Giza's singing's bad, but the actual song that Colin Welland sings is quite touching, so you don't know whether to be laughing or whether to be slightly emotional with it.
0: As well as just discussing Cowboys itself in this episode, I'd like us to look at how ITV sitcoms developed in the 1980s. Because is it a fair assessment if I was to say that Cowboys is what you would call a standard 30-minute, by which I mean 24-minute, half and half, episode of an ITV sitcom of that era?
1: It's on the cusp where sitcom is sort of moving from action and slapstick into more verbal humour so it's half and half it is
0: of course this is at the time when Philip Jones was the head of light entertainment at Thames and this is a period of time which really interests me and it's just a particular little area. The light entertainment and comedy output of Thames in the 1970s and through to the mid 1980s it's got a sort of feel of its own it's got a really really lovely vibe about it It stands up very, very well in comparison to BBC shows of that era. And I think part of the reason for that is the fact that Philip Jones was so beloved by the people that he worked with. And those people knew that in him and the producer and director that they'd be working with, they knew that they had support within the company. And Thames had a lot of success in that period of time, also exporting shows throughout the world as well, most famously, of course, Benny Hill. But they were willing to take risks with their sitcom output and for every one show that perhaps wasn't a huge success and didn't take off another would come along and then you had writing partnerships which were established during that time like vince Powell and harry driver and then brian cook and johnny mortimer later on and repeatedly they came out with superb hits throughout that whole period of time thames sitcom output is a real stalwart of the the itv network system of that time you've got the different regional franchises i mean for example granada Grada did make sitcoms of course but Grada's thing really was the documentaries, the dramas and so on LWT were well, your, your big light entertainment shows, your Brucey Spectacular's Game for Laugh and so on but Thames sitcoms I, I really like personally, I think that they've got that lovely warm feel about them and maybe I'm looking at things through those tinted glasses but it's just a particular company and a set of people and a set of circumstances that all just come together to make a very very enjoyable series of shows
1: well, it's a quality of Philip Jones uh, that he'd been taken on by Thames. Of course, now he'd come from ABC, which had been based at Teddington, so he'd done light like, entertainment and comedy for years that he'd been working in the ITV system since Tyne Tees had launched in late 1950s. So he knew he knew his actual audience as well as employing the right writers to the right directors. To the right technical people as well He just had the knack and feel for it But I was going to go back to a point That you were saying about The ITV companies Like Granada would be the serious programmes LWT, your light entertainment Thames, sitcoms But it's also interesting to see When another company tries a sitcom Let's take for example Southern now, they hadn't really ever done any sitcoms up until the last knocking, say, 1980 and 81. Now, they brought in Brian Izzard, who previously worked for London Weekend Television, and they tried to do sitcoms and produce sitcoms for Southern. It's a case of you can produce sitcoms, but they don't have that feel, like you said. Thames have got that special sort of feeling they know how to do it right you can bring in a producer you can bring in a director but you've got to have the people who actually know how to do these things in the first
0: place the closest competitor to cowboys i can think of around about this period of time was from yorkshire television in the gaffer with bill maynard now that is along similar lines in as much as the, the setup about the Builders Firm and so on, that's rather more about management and union relations. But around about this period of time, early 1980s, for example, if you were to take an ITV sitcom from, say, 1970, if you take something like, I don't know, say, Dear Mother Love Albert or one of the Doctor series, something along those lines, compare it to a standard ITV sitcom from 1979 1980, you're not going to see a great amount of difference in terms of its structure in terms of the audience that they're seeking to attract quite often in terms of even the performers and the writers and so on, you're obviously going to see a few technical improvements obviously in the course of 10 years but by and large you don't see a huge gulf Whereas, for example, if you were to compare a sitcom from 1960 to 1970, apart from the obvious bits and pieces like The Introduction of Colour and so on, you've also got a loosening of moral attitudes. You've got The Permissive Society, you've got bits and pieces that you can talk about that you couldn't necessarily have discussed in a show from the early 60s. If you were to compare a show from 1980 to a show made in 1990, now obviously there are exceptions, can look at this with broad brushstrokes, but by and large... You then see quite a significant difference in terms of the type of shows that ITV is making by the end of the 1980s and the type of audience that they are trying to attract. Now you mentioned earlier one Peter Learmouth, writer of Cowboys, later on writer of Surgical Spirit. There's a good example of, as you said Cowboys, is a show which combines physical slapstick humour with verbal humour and... It's almost like you can sort of follow a path. I mean, again, I don't want to overgeneralize this, but if you follow a path from something like, for example on the buses, and shows of that ilk, things like Romany Jones and its sequel, and then by the time you get to early 1980s, you've still got elements of the the broad farcical comedy and the witty wordplay, and then by the 1980s, or late 1980s, early 1990s, it's very, very strongly verbal. You've got shows, for example, like Surgical Spirit, you've got shows like Watching, shows like Second Thoughts and its sequel, Faith in the Future, which are much more about verbal humour and more about witty dialogue rather than slapstick. And, of course, there are exceptions to the rule and so on. But it's interesting to to look at it and take a a broad view of it that ITV in particular, this seemed to be something which affected them more than the BBC. I mean, the BBC was still making shows such as Grace and Favour, in 92, 93, whilst also having shows, for example, I mean, we'd spoken previously about Mulberry and a previous sitcom club, which is a very different type of show, a very different feel to it. ITV, it, it, they seem to undergo this, I wouldn't necessarily call it an identity crisis in the mid-1980s, but it did, more than other broadcasters, undergo a transition of sorts.
1: Basically, ITV was reacting to Social changes Let's remember, 1980, right? Margaret Thatcher had just got in at number 10 And by 1985, in those five years that The social climate, whether you want to say for good or bad Or whatever, it had changed So a company like Thames or LWT Would be chasing what we would call ABC1s And that's partly why the BBC They weren't quick to react to that And say the mid-1990s they weren't looking for that commercial market. But you do see a lot of, that like you say, sitcoms change. And the style of comedy change. With the introduction of the new ITV franchises in 1982, that they bring something different to the ITV
0: network. Well, you have... Exactly, as you say, you've got the emergence of, along with other things, you've got the emergence of phrases such as focus groups and demographics and so on. And this holy grail of the ABC1 viewer who's now being sought. And even in the broad physical comedy, because of course you've got to remember that Benny Hill show was still going on right up until 1989, Thames shifted from Benny Hill to Mr Bean. And on the face of it, you could say, oh, both physical comedy, a lot of dialogue-free comedy, good for international sales, and so on. But they're still two very different shows in their outlook. It's probably unfair to point the finger at it, but for argument's sake, because it always gets brought up in discussions like this, Vince Powell's series Bottle Boys with Robin Asquith in the mid-1980s is often viewed as a turning point as far as ITV sitcoms are concerned. Bottle Boys, it's very populous, but we've got to remember, it got two series, so it was doing something right. It wasn't as if it was the nadir of all sitcoms. There were just as many duds in the ABC1 world as there were previously. But you mentioned about the ITV franchise system, and that's a crucially important part of of the backdrop i suppose you could say to how these shows came about particularly in mid and late 1980s you've got stations such as Thames and LWT and TVS, stations like that in the wealthy, cash-rich south of the country who want to have shows which are going to appeal to their audience. And they are sitting rather uneasily, because, of course, late 1980s, all the talk was about the North-South divide. You've got them sitting uneasily with companies like Granada, for example, Time Tees and Yorkshire and so on. Greg Dyke at LWT famously described coronation street and emmerdale's boring northern comedies (laughs) i didn't have a great deal of time for them being in his schedules because of course he was trying to get the well-heeled cash on the hip london audience and he didn't think that shows like that were going to appeal to them greatly
1: but obviously like we were saying that you had the north south divide but of course the interesting medium in all of this would be central television of course They came in basically replacing ATV in 1982. You could say that Central, it's got a flavour of its own. Central wants to be a company which produces worthy comedy and entertainment. When you think about ATV, they would have had the Muppets, and on the other end of the scale, they were the ones who started Bullseye. Now, you would say that's a very working-class entertainment, but they started it, and Central wanted to be a company which was different, but they wanted to do things which were of note like ATV had
0: done. In terms of ITV sitcoms of that later 1980s period, and again, we shouldn't forget, I mean, we started the conversation talking about cowboys, I think Cowboys is a really, really good example of something which bridges that divide. It's got big belly laughs, it's got physical humour, it's got the big payoff at the end each time if they've cocked up the decorating, whatever it may be. But you've also got nice witty dialogue as well in there. I think it balances the two pretty well. As shows go. I think that's one of, one of the reasons why it is fondly remembered. I think it's long, long overdue for repeating something like itv free. I wish, I've said it before, I wish itv free would take more risks with its archive. Actually, Ocho had a question on Facebook just after we recorded the last episode of Sitcom Club. So it came in just a little bit too late for us to include it on the show. But we were asked about why certain shows don't get repeated as often as others. And of course, it's part of the whole franchise upheaval of 1991. Thames, of course, lost their franchise to Carlton. And as a result, Thames Archive is not part of ITV PLC's archive. So you've got all these Central and Granada and London Weekend shows that they have to choose from. But it's incredible that Thames were, as we said, a real cornerstone of comedy and light entertainment throughout ITV's boom years, and yet, now they're, they're siphoned off. They're in a separate archive managed by Fremantle. But, like I say, I think that Cowboys sort of works that balance quite nicely. Then later on in the 1980s, you start to get shows which are... to give a couple of examples. A couple of Tim's shows. Both of them with Penelope Keefe. Executive Stress and No Job for a Lady. But Penelope Keefe is a female MP. Now, both of those shows are... It's a hackneyed old expression, but it's still... Serves the purpose of their time. They're very, very much... In the late 1980s, they're topical. They're in vogue. A couple of years after Cowboys ends, you have Athwira Sempet. Now, again, you could say similar subject matter with the, the Builder's Firm, but this is, of course, much, much more... It's a phrase that you didn't really see in ITV circles a great deal until the 1980s, comedy-drama. And, of course, by the end of the 1980s and the early 1990s, you're seeing it all the time. But... There you've got a light-hearted drama series, one which is sophisticated enough that it fits ITV's new outlook, tries to attract the kind of people that they're trying to get to watch the channel. And at the same time, of course, it's still a very, very humorous show, and it's sort of got something for everyone. It's, It's almost as if it's trying to perform a balancing act, and then you get shows later on, things like Outside Edge, for example, Cold Feet. Another example. Things like that where it's almost like they're trying to sort of have it always at once. But
1: you would say with Avida's own pet, OK, it's done by Central, but it's an independent production, you know, which has been bought in by Central from Witsend production, which is Clement and Lefraney, famous for porridge. They'd written Avida's own pet in America and bought it back to Central, who bought it because they thought this would be... A landmark series to set their franchise out to say, this is what we're all about.
0: And again, it's just one of those things, for better or for worse, as you say, ITV was reacting to the times. It's not my favourite period of time, if I'm honest, that the whole comedy drama era is not really one that I remember fondly. And I'm glad, I mean, I wasn't a big, big fan of the more recent ITV sitcoms like Vicious, for example, but I was glad to see them there. And you can almost count on one hand now the number of what you call straightforward studio-based audience sitcoms that ITV has produced in the last 25 years. I mean, if we put our heads together just now, I'm thinking, well, you've got the upper hand, which we discussed last week. You've got Barbara, which made an impact in 1998 exactly for that reason, because it was almost as if ITV suddenly rediscovered sitcoms after a long gap. You had Frank Skinner show Shane in 2001, and you had the Richard Wilson show High Stakes around about that time as well, both of which, incidentally, have second series, both of which have never been shown. You can actually get the second series of High Stakes on DVD, but neither second series made it to air, then you've got vicious. Just last year. Now am I? That, that's all. That's all me. That's one hand used. So am I missing anything out of the last few years? Because I'm really struggling to think of too many other examples. Oh, okay. Over on the other hand, babes in the wood. Carl Homan, 1998. What about Sam's game with Davina McCall? Do you know that's one that's completely passed my button? No, was that a uh, studio audience? Yeah, that tweet?
1: was studio audience. That was, but like you were saying, the example, that you know, of studio audience is that the ma- vast majority of these sitcoms now that you you can say almost like The Office started it. I'll give you two examples, which in the past um, two years you've had the Job locked. and in the past. Ten years you had Dead Man Weds And they weren't audience sitcoms But they were ITV sitcoms But it's interesting to note That quite a few of the audience sitcoms Which were produced by ITV Say around the mid to late 90s Were done by uh, Central Who of course were brought up by Colton You cannot think of any other company around that time because Granada had gone to sort of comedy drama and Carlton were relying on Central to do their sitcoms they were.
0: Now here's a, a funny wee thought. Carlton when they arrived in 1993 with their big brash promises of all these wonderful new bits and pieces nobody asked for Carlton, nobody wanted Carlton <laughs> especially the people of London who liked Thames and they didn't want to lose it, but that's the way it ended up. So for all their big promises of the brave new world, they actually began the very first year with a real throwback. They suddenly, I mean, I'm going to be blunt about it, pinched Comedy Playhouse. They pinched the format from the BBC some 30 years earlier and came up with a batch of eight new sitcom pilots, most of which were straightforward free walls, audience, videotape. And a couple of those got made into series, one of which was Brighton Bells, which maybe we'll do that one, one week. I don't know. Maybe I'll be doing it by myself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We're going to get a lot of takers with that. But Brighton Bells is basically Carton's adaptation of the Golden Girls. We could have actually included Brighton Bells last week. <laughs> But it's unusual taking a show which, okay, Channel 4 audience figures, not on the same scale as ITVs, but most people were pretty familiar with The Golden Girls, was already a bit of a risk to restage it. The last show that they developed into series, which I quite liked, but didn't really take off too well was the 10 percenters with clive francis but the talent agency but it was yeah it was quite odd that you've got that whole sort of previous 10-year period where itv's saying oh look at us we're all sophisticated now all our comedies have all got dramatic elements to them and they're all in 60 millimeter film and then along comes this new franchise and suddenly you're thrown back to 1962 hoping to strike lucky with a brand new step twin son and what have well,
1: you yeah yeah, you know, that's pretty much Carlton's way when they started. You know, rip it up and start again.
0: Apologies to Paul Jackson if I am misattributing a quote to him, but I think it was himself who made a comment a couple of years back about the American trend for comedy dramas, and particularly shows without an audience. And he referred to My Name is Earl with Jason Lee, which had been be going out on Channel 4 at the time, And he put it as bluntly as you possibly could. Where were the laughs in something which is being billed as a comedy drama? Shows like, for example, Cowboys and series around about that time, I really appreciate the fact that they pull off that trick of getting big belly laughs and also being well-written shows... Where it's not something, I mean, I used the example earlier on, something like Romany Jones, that's very, very perfunctory, it's straightforward, it's moderately crude, and, I mean, you can, you can have one eye and ear on it and read the paper, otherwise, and you're not really going to miss out too much in terms of huge plot swerves or... Character development or anything like that, and yet uh, I think yes, like well, shows like for example, something like My Name Is Earl, shows like that. To be perfectly honest, they, they leave me cold. I find them quite a chore to get through and I and I hark back to shows that have big punchlines and have big reactions from the audience and so on. And so all kudos to something like Cowboys which really pulls off that trick. I think if Cowboys was a BBC show, I think that it would be repeated frequently. Unfortunately it's just the way that things have ended up with ITV sitcoms of that era is that they just they just don't tend to, to get too many airings, but it's certainly one that's worth tracking down on DVD. I mean, I think you can make an argument for saying that shows like that, shows which are simultaneously witty and also have big belly laughs, big physical laughs and so on, they may well be the hardest shows to pull off because you really are performing quite some trick there.
1: Let's not forget that only two years before that some mothers do have them had ruled the BBC schedule for something like Never the Twain, right? which, of course, is another Thames sitcom around that period. You could say it sort of shares that sort of thing with cowboys, that there's a lot of verbal humour, and then you would get the payoff of physical humour, so something collapsing or something blowing up.
0: I think that there is, I don't know if it would necessarily be a bestseller, but I think there is definitely scope for a weighty tome to be written about ITV sitcoms, in general, under development, and particularly the regional aspect, because I think it's a little bit—I don't want again—I don't want to be too simplistic about it—but I think it's a little bit easier to draw the map of bbc sitcoms throughout this period of time because you do have for example you have instances where you've got little pockets say bbc north making something like red dwarf and you've obviously got bbc scotland's output but by and large it's a little bit easier to see the the evolution of sitcoms which have come from television center and to look at for example the the whole david croft era and the Golden and Simpson era and so on. Whereas looking at ITV sitcoms as a whole, it is much more of a mixed bag because of, as it was then, their internal makeup with your 13, 14, 15 different companies. The other thing, of course, that we should mention as well With regard to ITV sitcoms, is their inherent problem. And it's one which troubles all ITV sitcoms of this type is that just as soon as the audience have started to get into the episode, you've established the plot, you've established what's going on, you've got to take a break. You'll see bogs that. In Cowboys, for example, it follows a very traditional ITV line. You've got the status quo, and then you've got the establishment of the issue at hand, and then effectively the curtain drops, and that's your little cliffhanger. And the necessity to build those in is one thing, and then second to that, you've also got, there was a vital sort of five, five and a half missing minutes, where you really don't have the time to flesh out plot or character development. First of all, in regards to Cowboys, how did you find that it it coped with that in terms of having to keep that fast pace and still actually have a little bit of depth to it?
1: Well, it it sort of moves along at a fair sort of pace that you do get... Say, for example, in one part of Cowboys, you might get three major scenes in one part, and then that's topped off by the advertisement break. It's another three major plots to the end. You know, you could start off at one point and by the end of a program, you're at another, which hasn't really tied up anything at all. The start point doesn't bear anything to what's end point is. I mean, other sitcoms have developed the ability to get you to say, right, here we are at the start. I can guess what is going to happen by the end of the episode. And not many, not many sitcoms, can do that You get to that sort of break point That it's got to carry on From the point where you left it In Cowboys it doesn't do that If they were in one place At the start of a break You would almost think Oh yeah they'd still be in the same place But you cut to something completely different And it sort of ruins the flow How have we got from one place to another You can't develop it at all You can't you're only scratching the surface with these characters. You know, you might get something like David Kelly's character saying, I used to be a chef in the army. And I make some joke about, oh, well, you poisoned everyone with cabbage and things like that. <laughs> you almost want them to say, tell us more about your experience. You want them to do that. There's plenty of points which could be expanded on.
0: Recently, I've been watching the You Being Served repeats on BBC2 in the afternoons. And it's almost as if you can see exactly which bits in those shows would have been lost if they had been on commercial television. Now, there's two ways of looking at it. You can make the argument that I think Graham Linehan once put forward the view that if there's something in the script which isn't advancing the plot... It shouldn't be in there. In my humble opinion, as a viewer, I wouldn't always agree with that. And I think that something like I being served is an excellent example of that, where because they've got elbow room, you can have those lovely little conversations between Missy Slocum and Miss Brams and Mr Lucas and Mr Humphreys at the beginning of the day, just setting the scene, just easing you into it. They're talking about what they were doing last night and so on. It may have an impact on the overall plot. It may not. But you've got the room for those kind of things, you've got room to do little set pieces, just this and that, and it all just adds to the warmth of the show. Another example, same series, of the breadth of a BBC show in comparison to an ITV sitcom, an episode a couple of weeks ago, concerns Captain Peacock and whether... Or not, he has been playing away, so to speak, with Mr Rumbold's secretary. It's a brilliant episode. It gathers pace and builds and builds and builds. And as far as a farcical sitcom is concerned, it's absolutely perfect. Everything in the episode from the word go all goes into the plot development. And like with any good farce, the tension is ratcheted up repeatedly and then you've got your other people coming in you've got your customers coming in all of them relevant to the plot and it's absolutely superb there's nothing in there there's absolutely no excess there's no fat in that episode at all and again in an ITV sitcom you'd be looking at that and thinking okay well we need to speed this up we need to get to the the point more quickly also the way that it's structured, you've got 20 minutes of build-up to then a set-piece, 10-minute conclusion, whereas in an ITV sitcom, ideally, you'd want 12 and a half minutes here, 12 and a half minutes there. You wouldn't want 12 and a half minutes and then a little bit left over coming back from the commercial break before you then have your finale. You'd sort of want a little bit more neatly arranged than that, so you could, in a strange way, you could actually end up with padding in a scene because it works better in a situation where you've got two acts than how it's portrayed in a full-on 30 minutes
1: in that episode that you're watching yeah it just concentrates let's say in a sitcom you've got an a story and a b story right yeah you might have your main action going on and say you'd have a b story to the side a minor thing which may uh link in together by the end of the episode But that one That episode of Are You Being Served Has just got the A story It has That a good sitcom If it's done well And in a certain situation You can do an A story So well you can And it means that You want to know What is going to happen At the end with it
0: I was struggling, Boggs, as I was saying that, to try and remember the episode title, and I've just cheated. I've Googled it just now. The episode is called Oh, Water Tangled Web, Episode 6, Season 4, from May 76. I definitely recommend it, even if you're not an IBEX surf fan, generally. It's definitely worth Googling that. You'll find it online. So in conclusion, then, let's be fair about it. Let's compare it like with like. So as far as ITV sitcoms are concerned, how do you think that Cowboys stands up with other the shows of that era?
1: It's a good, solid show. A good test of an ITV show is whether you can think, right, would this transfer to a BBC? And in Cowboy's case, you would think, yeah, it's well written. You've got David Kelly, who's established. You've got James Wardropper. He's a new star. You've got Roy Ganeer, established. But you also get Colin Welland. He brings an almost, it may be a sitcom, but it's the lines that he says and he brings. He can do an aside without it sounding silly and stupid, and Cowboys is the better for it.
0: I want to add also that I'm a huge fan of Roy Kinnear. I mentioned in a show a few weeks ago about how much I like Patrick Cargill and how I always enjoy seeing him on the screen, even if the show itself or the the script is not really top-notch. I find that he's just somebody who just brings a really enjoyable element to it. He's just somebody I really enjoy seeing on the screen, doing his bits and pieces and so on. And Roy Kinnear is very very much in the same category for me i always like to see him turn up in an episode of something like georgia mildred and man about the house and so on and such a shame as well that his last sitcom work hardwick house but we all know the story of what happened to that and again that was another example of itv trying something different in the sitcom field and i guess i think it really came down to scheduling more than anything else I think it was scheduling more than content that caused that to be pulled from the screen, but he's excellent in it. I mean, I've only ever seen the episodes that did make it onto the air. The other five episodes are locked very, very securely in ITV PLCs archives and I think that some companies have made inquiries in the past about releasing it on DVD and have been given short shrift I don't know, I mean there's, n- there's nothing in it at all that would be remotely controversial if they were to release it nowadays, if there was anything controversial about it in the first place there's a few gags and what have you which are uh, a bit edgy for 8 o'clock at night, but it should never have been on at 8 o'clock at night, it should have been on at 10 o'clock on a Sunday, like other shows of that type but yeah, I mean if you can track him down definitely have a look at Hardwick House the, uh, the episodes that, that were broadcast and Roy Canary, he's he's superb in it. Roger Slocum also was in that and again he's somebody who tends to to steal uh, the scene. Cowboys series 1 and 2 are both available from network DVD. Couple of other little bits and pieces just to take care of before we wrap up. Thank you very much to Lapsed Cat who got in touch with us on Twitter. Say how we enjoyed the thanksgiving show as he put it, this podcast is swell with a side helping of peachy keen now i've got to be honest i'm not too familiar with peachy keen as a saying i remember dixie peach used to be on radio one back in the day and also thank you very much to g baker who got in touch with us on twitter also and she's asked us about the possibility of us discussing the good life in a future episodes, we'll certainly add that to the forthcoming list. As it's known in the US, Good Neighbours. And sometimes that can throw you when you're trying to search for an IMDb. So we'll add The Good Life to the list of shows. Probably we'll look at that early in the new year. And we've got a few things lined up as we head into the Christmas season. Of course, by the time you listen to this, it already is the Christmas season, because let's face it, if Gold's logo has turned into a Christmas pudding which it will have done this past Sunday, unless it decided to wildly deviate from years previous, then it's Christmas. And Sky Movies Christmas will have started as well. And of course you've started opening your advent calendar and you've got all the wee chalky Santas out of it. So yeah, it's, it's very much very much Christmas. Among the bits and pieces lined up before the end of the year, we're going to be discussing the Last of Summer Wine Christmas special from 1983, Getting Sam Home. ...featuring Linda Barron, who we're about to see again in Still Open All Hours at the end of the year. We're also going to be discussing revivals with reference to three specific sitcoms, which came back after quite a lengthy gap. And then our Christmas special show, which we'll have all four of us together again, and we will be playing the On The Buses board game, as advertised... And DCT has been in touch with me today to suggest something involving a dice, which is actually quite cunning and rather nasty, it has to be said, and I'm giving a serious consideration. I may actually build that into the construct of the game. And then after Christmas, we will be discussing... Open all hours. If you didn't hear us when we were on the radio earlier on in the year and you didn't hear us talking about open all hours in general, we're going to be coming back to open all hours at the end of this year and of course then talking about still open all hours. So in the meantime, don't forget of course you can find us on Facebook. Just look for the sitcom club on Facebook. You can find the sitcom club on Twitter and get in touch with us there or get in touch with us at feedbacksitcomclub.com. At you can visit us at at sitcomclub.com. That's our website where you can find a link to subscribing to either iTunes or the straightforward XML feed so you can get all the previous shows going all the way back to earlier this year. And in the meantime, Balkan Strovia, thank you very much indeed for your time today.
1: Thank you very
0: And we will see you again very soon on The Sitcom Club.
1: Bye.